Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making email safer for business. Mimecast.com. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In the 1960s, in America, there was a psychological test that was so popular it was given about a million times a year. The idea of the test was that it could help understand what sort of person you were. 20 years earlier, though, when it was somewhat less well-known, the test, which is named after its founder, Hermann Rorschach, was administered to some of the world's most high-profile subjects, the Nazi high command, who by then had been put in prison. And the question that everyone wanted to know was pretty simple. What is the Nazi personality? What are the special characteristics of it? Damien Searles is the author of The Ink Blots, Herman Rorschach, His Iconic Test, and The Power of Seeing. He writes about the unique role of Rorschach the man, who is both an artist and a psychiatrist, and the test he created, which has been changing the world for a century now. Searle says that in the 1940s, the prison psychiatrist at Nuremberg decided this was the test to give. What it revealed seemed crazy. It was a challenge to what people believed about good and evil. What the Rorschach found was nothing. In other words, there was a range of variations. Some of the Nazis were violent psychopaths, and some of them were very well-adjusted, you know, bureaucrats. And there was the same sort of range that there would be anywhere else. And this freaked them out. They didn't expect this. They expected it. This freaked out the scientists. Exactly, because here's the world's best technique, and here's the, like, world's most extreme set of people, and it's not finding anything. So one of them, the psychiatrist, said, well, you know, this shows that criminals aren't crazy. They're just bad people or in a bad context or however you want to interpret it. There's not a kind of special psychology of being a Nazi, of being a bad person. The other one couldn't accept this and massaged the Rorschach results to make it seem like it showed how, you know, awful they all were. He published articles later called things like the mentality of SS murderous robots. So, you know, he was very invested in this mid-century idea that, you know, there is a personality type that could do these sorts of things. But the actual test results sort of didn't confirm what the scientists were expecting. And they were sort of buried. Um, There was going to be a big conference publicizing the results, and every single leading Rorschach scientist in the world suddenly had an appointment that day and couldn't (laughs) quite make it. and, And it didn't happen because I think none of them could really believe what they were seeing. It was only after Milgram and Hannah Arendt that scientists went back and were able to really analyze the results for what they were. And now I just want to touch on that point again of like that they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And in your view, like what they were seeing, what they didn't want to see um, was that these were kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, normal people who had done terrible things, not like a special breed of terrible people. Exactly. You know, there were some qualities that they shared. They did tend to sort of be a bit 
more adaptable in following instructions than the norm. But really, their differences were much more significant than their similarities. The psychiatrist even said, you know, it's the same range of variation as there would be in your local PTA meeting. And this was something that was just not what the world was ready to hear in the 40s. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how Herman Rorschach came up with this test. Um, As I noted, he was an artist. He was a psychiatrist. um, And actually, his father was an artist. How did he come up with these inkblots? And then, like, how did he fit them into the science and the psychology uh, that was understood at the time? Yeah, that's the reason that my book talks about his life as well as talking about the history of the test, because it really was this kind of artistic creation as well as a scientific advance or method. So Hermann Rorschach was born in 1884. He was Swiss-German. Both his parents died young, and so he decided to become a doctor. And then inspired by sort of Tolstoy and the Russians, he decided to become a doctor of the soul, not, you know... Uh, radiologist or bone setter or something, but he decided to become a psychiatrist. The thing is that he was a visual person. As you said, his dad was a, a drawing teacher. He was a lifelong keeper of sketchbooks. He kept visual diaries of his kids. He took photographs of the landscape and also of his patients that he organized by diagnosis as a sort of way of understanding them better. And so even in some kind of amazing personal details. You know, there's a recorded evidence that in college he used to go to the art museum with his friends and afterwards he'd ask all his different friends what they thought of a given painting, stuff like that. Hmm. So he really had this deep sense that how you see is very characteristic of who you are. And Herman Rorschach worked in these big you know, basically state hospitals with lots of very seriously psychotic people, not the kind of people who can come sit on your couch for an hour five days a week. And so he wanted to try and connect with them in other ways. And even if they weren't talkative or even, you know, responsive, he would try to give them drawing supplies or do games with them or things like that. And so he knew that there were visual approaches you could take to people. Uh, in other words, ways to ways to connect with them other than talking with them. Hmm. There have certainly been times when the Rorschach test was super popular and it was heavily depended upon for all sorts of things. Do you think that Herman Rorschach would have liked that? Uh, or do you think he would have worried about it? It's certainly true in mid-century that it was used in this way that was over the top in terms of people thinking that it was some sort of like truth serum, magic mind reading technique. And any real world decisions that were based on that are obviously flawed and that's not how it should have been used. You know, there is a letter that Herman Rorschach wrote uh, to a colleague, kind of a frenemy who was working with him (laughs) as he was developing the test. And he said, you know, goldmine because I'm plugged into the German educational system and this can be used like throughout the system for basically aptitude testing. And Hermann Rorschach wrote this letter and said, hold on, slow down. You know, when I think about someone whose lifelong dream has been to go to university and they're prevented from doing it because of this test, 
I feel like I can't breathe. Hmm. Maybe it could work for some kind of aptitude testing, but first you need to do a lot of statistics and get big sample sizes and really check everything. And I actually think Rorschach said that it will be better for, you know, what kind of lawyer should you be? Should you mm -hmm. be a high-pressure trial attorney or like a backroom introverted tax lawyer? You know, it probably won't be good for you should or shouldn't get into law school. So he personally, I mean, this is one of his kind of winning qualities. Like he was very sensitive to possible misuse and aware that it absolutely shouldn't be used without proper controls in any kind of real-world situations. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller, and I'm talking with Damien Searles, author of the book, The Inkblots, Herman Rorschach, His Iconic Test, and the Power of Seeing. Can you talk a little bit about the moment when the Rorschach test became big in the U.S.? It was this moment where bigger institutions wanted to categorize people. So can you talk a little bit about like what happened, how did it take off, and, and what that moment felt like? So the Rorschach first came to America a couple years after Rorschach died. Uh, it was first given in Chicago, already in the mid-20s. And it, there was a kind of trickle of interest in psychology, but the real crux came with World War II. Because with World War II, you have a draft, and so Every able-bodied man in America is being given medical tests and also psychological tests. And the results shocked people. I mean, rural health in America was very poor. There was a lot of, you know, deformity and missing teeth and weakness and bad hygiene and bad food supplies and malnutrition and all this kind of stuff. It was very shocking. And then psychologically, too, 12% of the people were found psychologically unfit to serve in the army. And, you know, maybe some of them were faking it, but most of them weren't. And this blew the minds of people in the army, in the government, in the medical establishment. Mental illness was not, it turned out, just, you know, a few people in asylums. It was something that was really affecting a massive part of the country. And so partly by an accident of history, the Rorschach was sort of ready to step up as a psychological test just when you suddenly had all this public and government pressure to step up psychology. And so in any history of, of psychiatry and psychology in America, it's World War II that's this pivotal moment because you have mass application of psychological tests and you suddenly realize that there's this mass need for psychology. And do you feel ever like I mean, maybe this has always been true, and, and we tend to think about our own times um, as sort of the center of our lives. But this right. <laughs> moment seems like such a Rorschach test where, I mean, people can look at a reality that I guess is objective, and you've got two people, I mean, especially across the political divide, people just see it, I mean, radically differently. And they're seeing the same person or the same people take the same actions, right. but their interpretation, wow, could not be further apart. No, it certainly seems to be a real high point or low point of that kind of diversity of reaction to things. But, you know, this is how I end my book. The last chapter is called The Rorschach Test is Not a Rorschach Test. And what I mean <laughs> by that kind of as a joke is that the real Rorschach test 
is not this relativist cliche thing where anything can mean anything and nothing matters and all facts are alternative facts. Mm. You know, the real ink blots have objective visual properties. The real test actually works or doesn't work to measure this or that, and you can prove it. So in a way, the real Rorschach test is kind of also an image that gets us past this metaphorical test. Because think about it. If if you're on a couch and you tell someone your dream, then they don't have any independent access to that. You know, they can only sort of listen to you and interact with you. But if someone says, okay, what is this ink blot? And you say it, then they can take the same ink blot and look at it themselves. And there's this literal piece of visual common ground. You actually are both looking at the same thing. And there's millions of data points over the last century about how other people have seen the same thing. So you can really actually get at, you know, is this a standard or non-standard way of looking at it? What does it correlate with? Things like that. So the fact that it's visual is kind of a nice image for the fact that even if we do have different perspectives on reality, we are ultimately looking at the same thing. Hmm. Have you been surprised at the degree to which um, just artists and popular culture have picked up the idea of Rorschach test, both as a phrase that's used, let's say, in newspapers and stuff, but also, I mean, Andy Warhol painted a painting, right, called Rorschach. Then Jay-Z put that painting on the cover of his book. Um, uh, pictures of Rorschach tests have been in the in the windows of, you know, fancy New York uh, department stores. So right. are you surprised at the degree to which it still seems to seep through and people are still really interested in this idea? Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, it was one of the things I was struck by. It was one of the things that made me think, you know, this is an interesting story here, that it's not just visual, but it means something to people. And that's why it keeps getting taken up over and over again. You know, one of the great inkblot uses in popular culture is the video for the Gnarls Barkley song, Crazy, which <laughs> everyone who hasn't seen it should go to YouTube and look up. It's uh, these inkblots morphing around. But the reason that the agency who pitched the idea for, hey, let's make it inkblotty, the reason they got the job is because CeeLo Green remembered having been given the real Rorschach test when he was a troubled teenager. So, you know, it's because it's so in the culture that it's a flashpoint in psychology, and it's because it's so used in psychology that, you know, it continues to find resonances among people designing T-shirts. Damien Searles is the author of The Inkblots, Herman Rorschach, His Iconic Test, and The Power of Seeing. Damien, thank you so much. Thank you. On our Facebook page, we've got a link to a recent 60-minute segment about the last Nuremberg prosecutor still living. He's 97. And what he said echoes what the Rorschach test discovered about the Nazis. Now I will tell you something very profound, which I have learned after many years. War makes murderers out of otherwise decent people. All wars and all decent people. This is an amazing man. Check out the segment. We've got the link for you at facebook.com slash innovationhubradio. 
If you like what you heard here, subscribe to our newsletter to get the inside scoop on what's coming up on the show. Just go to innovationhub.org. That's where you also find stories that explore why you can't stop checking Facebook and why America might want to consider mandatory voting.